At the beginning of the job interview process, you're just a piece of paper. Another resume submitted for the gig. You get piled up with the other papers and before you even know it, you've been placed into one of two piles, the no's or the yeses. This is the show all about getting you into the yes pile. Welcome to season two of the Yes Pile podcast. This is the show dedicated to helping you grow, stretch, and prepare to land where else in the Yes Pile of candidates for your dream job. I'm your host, Tessa Wolf. I'm an expert in career growth and goal setting, having coached hundreds of people across my career in corporate America and now as a professional career coach. My goal for the show is season two is to share stories of amazing people in inspiring professions, to learn all about how they got to where they are today and the things they learned along the way, and to teach you that the path to what you think success looks like isn't always a straight line, and that's more than okay. I'm so excited for you all to meet my first guest of the season. He is a friend and former colleague in the advertising industry. He is an incredible graphic designer and now agency owner slash stand-up comedian. Yep, comedian. And he's actually pretty funny. So yeah, we're kicking the season off by interviewing a multi-hyphenate to hear how on earth he landed in not one but two killer professions, how he balances both and how he stays inspired and motivated to keep creating. Everyone, please meet my friend, Jeff Tice. So, Jeff. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. My long-lost friend. I am here. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thanks for giving me the time. It's 9 o'clock on a Tuesday. This is my wild social life now. It's great. Um, Yeah. Why don't you tell everybody listening who you are and a little bit about what it is you do for a living. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, again, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Um, I am a few things, but I guess the main thing that I, I spend my most time doing and my, I guess my career largest income source would be, I am a uh, designer, illustrator, art director, co-owner and founder of a studio here in Colorado called Smash and Grab. Um, And that's been going for about two and a half years now, and it's going really well, um, which is exciting. And then the other half of my life that I spend just as much time doing and thinking about, um, not as much income as you would be surprised (laughs) how much uh, it doesn't pay, but uh, that I do stand-up comedy. So I'm a stand-up comedian and uh, with a side hustle of a graphic designer. <laughs> it's like multi-hyphenate, multi-hyphenate, multi-hyphenate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've been married and remarried a few times, but holding on to all the names. Yeah. See, yeah. it's like the quintessential actor in Hollywood that's also a waiter. Yeah. You're the comedian in Denver who also runs his own graphic design and advertising and marketing and branding company. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah. And it's uh, shockingly, I, I, I shockingly have enough time to do both mostly because of the schedules. I can work during the day, do comedy at night. They don't conflict too much uh, outside of just traveling, but yeah, it's great. It's worked out perfectly. When do you sleep? I don't sleep that much. That's not true. I actually do sleep well. I, uh, I will sleep. 
I probably go to bed around 10, 1030. And then uh, if, if I have a show, maybe a little later than that, but for the most part, shows are at seven or eight. The latest shows kind of start at like 945, sometimes at the club comedy works in Denver. And uh, I'll be in bed by midnight. And I just make sure I get like, yeah, six to seven hours. And that's luxurious, my friend. I'm good. I think the biggest thing is discipline after a comedy show. That's the hardest time to not because it could be a Tuesday and I'm at the club with my friends. Yeah. And we're technically at work, but it's also the most ridiculous work setting to have. All your colleagues are the funniest people, you know, and a lot of them party super hard. And so <laughs> the discipline of having my day job prior to starting comedy really helps when I need to just leave and go to sleep or go get work done. Um, but the older, the longer I do comedy and the, the more uh, experience I have in the, in the industry, I don't, I don't need to hang out anymore. Like I know the yeah. people I need to know. I'm, you know, I, there's none, I'm not going to gain a huge amount from just hanging out, especially in Denver. I know everyone in this city. And so I don't need to uh, hang out any longer at bars to be like, well, what if I bump into that person? I was just, it doesn't matter. So you got it. Advantage. Yeah. You did say you were traveling. Are you traveling a little bit for comedy shows? Yep. Yeah. So I've been on the road um, a decent amount, not a ton during the pandemic. I mean, almost none during the pandemic, really. Um, but travel all around Colorado, which is fine. But then um, I'm out to LA and New York. Well, LA mostly. I'm going to try to get to New York later this year um, for shows. But I went to, what else? Another place, Tampa. Just, you know, the went to. It's when you know you made it. The most, I mean, truly it, it's, it sucks so hard to go to Tampa <laughs> for anything. And then, but the part that makes it good is the reason you're going and the thing paying to get you there is telling jokes. So I'll go, I'll go anywhere to, if they pay to tell jokes, cause that's insane. It's literally the dumbest thing you could ever do for money. And it's the best. So it's the, the fact that I get to do it. I'm always grateful for it because it's crazy that it's gone on this long. <laughs> how long have you been? I want to ask about both of your children. How long have you been doing comedy? And how long have you been, you know, in the design world too? And yeah. have they always been a parallel path or did they each kind of have like different seasons where they were the favorite? Um, no, it's always been. So I've, I've done, um, design since college, I guess I freelanced a little bit of graphic design, but I was never really a prolific designer early in my career. I went to school for fine arts, mm. um, for like illustration, drawing and painting, like traditional studio art. And, uh, but then I immediately got a job at an ad agency doing packaging and design. Um, and so that was a huge part of my learning curve and intro into being a designer for commercial brands. I never really had a huge desire to do that. It just ended up being what I was good at. And then, so I've done that for almost 12 years now. Um, and comedy for about eight to nine um, of those years. So I worked in Boulder for a while and I had thought about doing it. And I think I might've gone to like an open mic in Denver. I still remember the first time I did it. I just don't remember. I guess I was in college. Um, so that's even before that. See, I think I did my first open mic in college and then 
it was just a bar in Denver. It was a wine bar called Paris on the Platte. And uh, I told my friend it was a Thursday night. It was college because I texted him and we were supposed to meet down at the bar, sign up and do your set. And I had written my five minutes, which was I only I think I got three minutes at the open mic. Um, <laughs> and uh, I got there. At, the signups were at 930. And so I got there at nine because I was like, surely these people treat comedy like a career and then you realize everyone's hammered there's no it's an open mic it couldn't matter less no one cares no one's listening and i was i was like so confused by that at first and then uh i signed up at at nine for 9 30 start i think they probably started around 10 and then i went on stage at like 12 30 in the morning oh my god and so i went up dead last I bombed, but I remember walking out and this drunk guy at the bar, like I was like beelining it. I was just like out of here. And my friend never showed up. That's why I went up. He never, he bailed and was like, oh, no. he, he like got cold feet and then wanted to. So I was just like, I don't care. I'm going in, I'm going for it. And so I, uh, after I was, I was walking out of the bar and I was just going straight to my car and this guy like leans back and grabs me and he's like, Hey man, that last joke was awesome. And I just was like, you're the, I'm going to kiss you right on your mouth. This is the greatest person I've ever met. And that's what kind of hooked me. I think was that reaction when I was like, clearly it wasn't worth it, but that one guy liked it. So a star um, is born from there. It was, yeah. A life was ruined probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. I mean, yeah. it's it's funny. You have those moments where you're like, yeah, that that didn't go great. But all it took was just that one person to be like, mm-hmm. no, man, it did. Yeah. It yeah. Did. And here you are this yeah. many years later. Well, the, the other part of that is you you learned to lie to yourself a lot in the <laughs> early years. Those early years, man, you really have to be like, it's, it's almost delusional. And some people still are delusional. But the, the amount of self-awareness you have to have to progress is just, you need so much. And some people have that. Some people don't <laughs> And uh, <laughs> pretty glaring a few years in who has it, who doesn't. And so who's growing. Uh, so that's it. Well, so you're in college studying fine arts, right? And mm-hmm. you decide open mics happening. This is like what we're doing at a Tuesday night at 1230 in the morning. Were you at that time thinking like, this is just a fun thing to do with my friends, maybe meet girls or were you like, no, this is something I want to do for a career? Yeah, for me, I have, I, for me, it was never about like a career. I didn't think, I, I hardly still think it's a viable career. It's crazy because I have friends who are very, very successful. But uh, yeah, I, I think for me, it was more, I've always, what I truly love the most in life is just across the board is any sort of creativity. And I think I've poured so much of my life and energy into trying to be as creative as possible in with whatever talents I have. Um, That just happened to be drawing and illustration. So that's what I poured so much into. Um, Then design came, I think, because I was so hyper-focused on the visual sides of things my whole life. Um, The attractiveness of of uh, doing something else creatively that wasn't a picture. It wasn't a, you know, I wanted mm-hmm. to try and see if I could play in that world. Um, and you, you realize you can't for a long time. It's like, it, it's, it's like, that's the lying to yourself part. You really just have to uh, just battle through the bad years. But I don't know. I think it was just, yeah. Um, 
a really just a, a desire to be more creative in a different part of my brain, whether I made that decision consciously uh, at the time for, especially for my first open mic, I think following the years later, when I was going, like when we worked together, mm-hmm. um, when I worked at the place after that was when I really spent a lot of time getting better quickly. Um, the first few years I lived in California and uh, I would go to open mics three to four times a week because my wife was in school. She was in grad school or PA school and uh, she was just gone studying. So that's how I kind of really hit the ground running and started going to a lot of mics and getting my legs under me. But yeah, I don't know if I, I just rambled. I don't know if I answered your question. You, no, you did. You did. I mean, I think the thing yeah. that's so interesting is it's, it's a way of, creative expression, right? I don't think a lot of people always think about comedy that way, but it's a, a, just another way for you to articulate all of your creative ideas and to create and drive emotion from people the same way that people do with painting and with design and with music and all the other mm-hmm. things. Uh, the thing I love about your story is um, it wasn't something that just necessarily like one day you tried it and you were great at it. And the rest is history. Like you put in the hours, you put in the work, you put in the time because the process was the reward, right? Even in the painful moments. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And comedy, comedy is just like that. I mean, there's, there's a lot of things in life that um, are tough and take time to be good at, but comedy is just one of those things you'll never see someone be good it's 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 almost it's never happened maybe there's three people in the history of comedy that were amazing from the first day and then only ever got better like there's people with natural talent but learning comedy and learning the ins and outs and intricacies of stand-up specifically mm-hmm. is uh it's just time it's just hours on stage as many as you can get in front of people and uh that's that's the only way you can get good. Like it's so funny. I remember when I first started, I didn't want to go out to bars and I, I didn't want to do the open mics. And I was like, can I just perform these to myself and record them and then hone them that way? And that's what's so amazing and infuriating about comedy, though, is like that'll not that doesn't work because you have to have a live audience for that feedback. Otherwise, you don't know because there's that's why it takes so long, no matter what you write, no matter how bulletproof and perfect you think it's going to be more often than not, the part that you didn't think was funny ends up getting the huge laugh. The part that you think is hilarious gets, you know, no laughs. And then you just are sitting there doing the math in your head. Okay. Like, and you have comics have this, uh, kind of, uh, just a levels of, of success, uh, like in just audio feedback. So if you, the laugh has to hit a certain level audibly for you to be like, okay, that joke works. And then there, you know, different rooms feel different uh, crowds, just different vibes. And you have to learn, okay, what is going to be the 10 volume in this room? Sometimes it's three people chuckling and you're like, I'm killing right now. <laughs> and um, sometimes it's, sometimes it's, you know, 3000 people and you're like, okay, cool. This joke's perfect. But it's, uh, it's just a marathon of just oh, like repetition, putting it out there, instant feedback, refining, putting it out there, instant feedback. So I think the most important part of comedy, or at least starting out is you, you have to, and you, you will be forced to learn how to fail immediately, immediately. So a lot of people will do the first set. It goes great. 
I'm a comedian now. And then they just bomb for the next three years. <laughs> and so that's, uh, that's just how it goes. And so you just have to learn to, can I curse on this? Yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> you just have to, you just have to learn. Oh, I will. You just have to, you know, eat, eat dirt, bro. That's what you got to learn to just fail. And just be okay with it. Yeah. Just like let yourself off the hook for what success is supposed to look like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I saw I, John Mulaney has a, a fun way of looking at it. It was just an, a one-off quote that he had, but he was like, I was, I was bombing. Uh, and he goes, and this was a back in a time before I enjoyed bombing because <laughs> you, you get to a point where bombing is the worst feeling in the world. Nothing will top it. Nothing is worse than having X amount of people be like, I don't like you personally. <laughs> That's how it feels. <laughs> you know, like your, your thoughts and who you are, we don't like. And so that's how bombing feels until you do comedy long enough to realize sometimes bombing is exciting and fun. And you're, you're, you're almost surprised. You get to a point where you have an act that works so well, you have jokes that work every time and you can always fall back on that stuff. But every once in a while, if you get a room that just doesn't work and there's a crowd that hates you, you misstep, you do something wrong, whatever, which happens, uh, you do it long enough to be like, oh, this is fun. This is this doesn't happen often, but you know, you're like pretty pretty interesting feeling, you know. So you kind of get used to it a little bit, but that just again comes with experience. When you're having that moment, when you're like, let's say you have just like a terrible night, you're bombing. Does that fuel your desire to either go design and create, or to sit down and just write a shit ton more stuff? Like, do you use yeah. that as your motivator? I normally will swing. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I don't really mix them okay. interchangeably for the most part. At least I haven't paid attention to that. Uh, more often than not, it is how do I solve the problem immediately mm-hmm. of what went wrong on stage? And so um, my process is pretty common to a lot of other comedians. There's no right process comics it's old saying if a comic gives you advice they're just trying to tell you to be more like them so it's (laughs) kind of just it's an individual sport but uh the uh my process is i will write new stuff do it on stage um see what works see what doesn't and then i voice record all my sets um on my phone i'll just have my phone in my pocket or on the stool i voice record everything and i have since day one so i have nine years of just the worst comedy ever, you know, it's just terrible. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And so the, um, and then you just go back and, and a lot of times you think a certain joke hits better than another one. And then the audio tells you differently. You're like, Oh, okay. Interesting. You know, I stuttered here or I slurred these words together. I need to be more clear here, or you just need to completely rewrite. You're like, this whole section doesn't make sense for the whatever. And you just kind of fine tune and refine from there. So um, a lot of comics listen to their sets. A lot of them record and then just don't listen to their sets. That's mm-hmm. also a technique. <laughs> and they just the active recording and then never actually doing the work. But um, yeah, it's, it's really painful because listening to your own voice sucks so hard. And uh, it's especially like, there's just this unique feeling of one hearing your own voice but also trying to be funny 
And like, it just makes you hate yourself because <laughs> when you see someone trying to be funny and you're just like, oh, they're trying so hard. But like, when it's you listening to yourself try so hard, you're like, oh God, this is so painful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guarantee it's not as painful for anybody else as it is for you <laughs> as the individual. Guaranteed. I hope so. Um, yeah. You know, as you, you, I like that you mentioned like, to comedians or, or honestly, any creator or writer, like if you're taking advice for somebody, they're just giving you advice on how to be more like them. I think that's really interesting. I think. I don't know if that's super true or I agree with it. I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting from a creative perspective. I think there's feedback about how you can um, practice things to make your craft better that are probably relevant. But I think it's such an individual form of expression. Like I can see where that makes sense. With that in mind though, if I said to you like, okay, there's, you know, 22 year old kids somewhere sitting in a basement trying to write jokes right now. Like what three things would you say that person needs to have or take on in order to be successful as a comedian or a comedic writer? Yeah. Uh, I think, I, I get asked this a lot, just what can I do to do comedy? Uh, so many mm-hmm. people come up to me after shows and are, are thinking about doing comedy and it's, it's always the same answer. And no matter how big name of a comedian you ask this question, you're going to get the same answer from every comedian who's done it. Um, it's uh right every day. And so that is, he's already writing jokes is the 22 year old. Perfect. Keep doing that every single day. Uh, you have to, you have to, that's comedy. Comedy is just writing, 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 writing. And, uh, and the part that goes with that is get on stage as much as possible. I would say get on every night, get on stage if you can. Um, it's all about repetition. So it's just, it, that's why it takes so long. It's, it's writing and then seeing if it works and then refining, writing, see if it works, refining. Um, and then that's how you build it. And it takes months and years and then more years to just keep <laughs> doing that as much as possible. I think the other, the third thing, I guess is a bummer, but it, like what I said earlier, like be kind to yourself. I guess that's a better way of saying it is uh, it's, it's rough because emotionally, especially if you're a creative person, you're probably pretty sensitive Uh inherently i just think a lot you know they feel you feel things differently sometimes and uh comedy really is harsh and so it's it's not a it's not a a non-context sport (laughs) for lack of a better term you you take hits emotionally and and just physically if you're not a night person comedy is tough um i'm not but it's so it's totally doable um but uh yeah, I would say write every day, get on stage and and be good to yourself mentally because it's just it's just tough. And the, and the further you go, go along, the worse it gets. I am curious, you know, the other part of your career, the design piece and how you kind of fell into like the commercial branding piece, which is so interesting because I think you and I both yeah. know so many people in advertising and it's like half of them <laughs> fell into it. Half of them wanted it. Half of them fell into it. That's, I mean, absolutely. I think it's, um, 
it was, I left, I think I ditched a printmaking class to go give my portfolio. I didn't understand the process, um, but I went to a design agency in Boulder and they were hiring interns that could illustrate. So I just got lucky. Um, they just wanted designer. They, they said, we'll teach you to design if you can draw. We just want kids who can draw um, because a lot of their projects were illustration based. Um, and so that's just how it worked out. I, I learned how to be a designer and uh, do a lot of print design and packaging through learning uh, on the job. Um, I was an intern for a while and then I got hired by that company. Um, and then I moved to California and I, I had done a lot of print design and just traditional graphic design. I had a, I didn't know how to do digital or interactive and there was a small web shop um, in the city that we were moving to that my wife's school was in. So I just applied there, got a job there. And then for the next two years, just did websites and digital and then did some illustration here and there, but not as much. Um, and I was trying to round out my skills because I just felt like I had this huge blind spot um, as a designer. I didn't know how to design for screens at all. Um, and once I left there, that's when we met, uh, I moved to, yeah, Motive, and I was there for a year. And that was more for me, that was the most advertising heavy um, projects that I had ever done. I was uh, hired as a designer and an illustrator, but um, quickly became an art director and then was pitching ideas and campaigns and writing more scripts and doing stuff like that. Um, and then from there, I went back to another pretty heavy interactive agency. Um, and I was there for, that's the, where I was the longest. I was there for yeah, four and a half, five, uh, five years. And that was again, a, a mix of things, mostly interactive and, and website design, but I always have done illustration and uh, just uh, does, you know, print design in the, in the background. So Finally, from there, um, I, I launched, I left there and launched uh, a company and my own agency. And that's now focused on illustration, traditional graphic design, animation, motion design. And uh, my partner is an animator and a 3D artist. Um, and then we're pushing more recently, we've been getting projects that are more uh, high level creative direction, brand strategy, and pushing brands forward visually from a, a higher level and, and kind of trying to guide them visually. Um, so that's been really exciting too. I, I, it's nice to pull myself out of the programs and, and be able to creative direct and, and talk on a, brand, a higher level for the brand, um, which has been fun. So that's the, the new frontier is pushing more into that type of stuff. That's exciting. And how has that been yeah. from a growth perspective during a pandemic? Like it's been a wild yeah. two years and now you're a business owner working on yeah. branding and advertising. Like how has that been for you? So it sounds bad, but it was great because we were, <laughs> you sound like an insane person saying that, but from a professional side of things, um, we were already working remotely before the pandemic for about a year. And so we had our infrastructure set up by no means was that any amazing intelligence on our part. It just was cost effective at the time. And so we didn't want to have to rent an office. And so we didn't. 
And then it just happened that everyone was working from home a year later. Um, the other advantage that ended up happening, unforeseen consequence of the pandemic in our industry was live action came to a screeching halt. So all the sets and live shooting of anything, um, all that pro- those projects were stopped. And then so any project that was in the works or needed to be done, um, a lot of people came to us for uh, animation, motion design to tell their stories graphically in, in kind of our, our terms instead of using actors. So we ended up getting a lot of work right at the start when, when uh, budgets were still around. And then, you know, further into the pandemic, budgets really came to a screeching halt. And I think everyone really felt that in the industry. And then coming out of it as it tapered off prior to the Delta variant, but even now, I think budgets are back and everyone wants everything that they didn't have for the last year. So it's again, a crazy time, which I'm sure you guys are feeling as well. Um, so yeah, it's, it was, it wasn't bad. And then it was kind of like, Oh, slowing down. And then it just took right back up. So couldn't be more grateful. Couldn't be more, uh, just, I, we've, we were just lucky. And so we, uh, you know, everything else around the business was crumbling to the ground, but we had enough work to keep us busy and, and sane as much as we could. So, yeah. That's great. That's great. great. You know, one of the things I was thinking as I was listening to you talk is so many people struggle to feel like they can find one avenue that they want to pursue, right? Or one profession or one passion that they're successful in. How do you balance really investing in two, right? You have such a duality to the things you're doing and the way you're splitting time. Like, is balance a thing? Or are you having seasons where you're like really, really focused on the agency or really, really focused on comedy? Like, how do you make this work? Yeah, totally. I think that's the the question most people have for me is like, how do you, when do you sleep? And why are you good at two things? That's, that's annoying. And <laughs> How so, did you get that? <laughs> uh, yeah. Why did you do this to yourself? Um, and I think I, I take it, I take it as a compliment because most people aren't like, you're okay at both. Like, it's nice that people are like, Oh, how are you good at both? So that's nice. Uh, <laughs> but I think for me, it's, it's just, it's discipline and um, just time management, which I'm not even, I guess I am good at it. I would probably give myself, I should give myself more credit, but it truly is just routine and structure. I think I fell into it because of the jobs that I had prior to starting comedy. So I had this foundation of, okay, if I want results, I need to put in the hours here and there. Yeah. Um, I, I think advertising and design industry is it, it whips you into shape really quickly from an early age. Um, uh, it's very common for these agencies to hire super young kids, just burn them out and then on to the next. And so I definitely went through those years of, of being completely burnt out early. And uh, I, I knew what it felt like to do too much. Um, and that wrecked me truly emotionally. And I, I really had some hard years early on um, just not being happy as a person, which was never me. And uh I like my comedy suffered from jobs like that, where you just didn't have time to get on stage. You just worked all night. And so it was one of those uh, kind of over the years, dialing it in and trying to figure out, okay, if I, if I get up early and work here, then I have time to hang out with my wife 
and then do that part. Like that's a huge part of my life too. I, I think there's a lot of comedians that let the rest of their life just crumble around them in order to do comedy. And that's just a testament to how addicting stand-up becomes. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone compares it to heroin. The first time you do it, you're stuck and you just, you're going to chase that, uh, that high for the rest of your life. Like, and that's just what happens. You do, you'll drive to Gillette, Wyoming on a Thursday, just because you get 20 minutes, you know? So, um, that's that's the pitfall, uh, but I think overall it's just yeah time management and to to put the pieces of my life where I need them, and then when things start to, I can tell when I'm doing too much. I start to get it, and I I get you know you just kind of get dialed in, and you're just on you're you're a broken record. You're not writing new stuff. You're not working on new stuff. You're not even excited to do shows. You're just kind of like yeah, I'll just go get do the show, get paid, get out of there. Um, that's a tough spot to be in. Cause it's, it's really, it sucks to watch a, a boring person on stage. Who's not having fun when they should be having fun. So um, I think it's helped me get balance when, when that starts to happen, I can lean heavier towards the agency and the job and, and making sure I'm taking care of stuff like that. And then that gets me excited to go do comedy um, and vice versa. So it's just a, it's just a balance. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to, to articulate how, well, how I do it. But I mean, yeah. it sounds like you've used the word discipline a few times. I think that's right. Like you've committed to, you know, creating space and time for all the things that you want to do and accomplish. And it's not always easy, right? There's like give yeah. and take and a lot of personal investment. But I think that's one of the things people continue to struggle with. And it's such a personal um it's a personal journey to navigate, right? Because balance looks different for everybody. Success looks different for everybody. But the commitment to doing the things that bring you joy and the things that are important, like that's when you start to get closer to like that definition of success, really. Yeah. Well, and I think I just got lucky too, because just in the fact that the two things that I like to do, uh, people think are cool. That's all is just yeah. <laughs> people people think stand-up comedy is so interesting um and people want to talk about it and they're excited about it it's like your husband who's a musician people immediately are they light up at the idea that he's making that work um because that means you are in such a high echelon of, of talent and ability in something that everyone thinks is cool and so um i think I think that's uh, comedy as well. People are fascinated. And I think the other side of comedy, people are fascinated by how it can go wrong. And I think we hear it all the time. People are always like, oh, I never could do that. It's like, well, we're just dumb enough to do it. That's all it is. And so (laughs) it's, uh, you just have to, um, I don't know. Yeah, I guess, I guess people just like both things. Um, And art is always exciting. And I think people are also fascinated by a creative career any sort of creative career that works um you know the question you get in art school is like oh art what are you going to do with that you know and everyone's you always get the condescending passive aggressive questions growing up and you kind of are I'm, i'm super sensitive to that stuff now because i've worked in a creative job i got to do what i wanted to do and been successful at it um so anytime i hear people being like you know art's a terrible decision or you know everything it, it's just not it's not true because i think everything people consume you know tv shows comic books podcast it's all from creative minds and so um 
I think that's important. I think that's the most important thing. I do too. I think you're right. I think there are a thousand practical applications for art and creativity and should never let anybody tell you that that's not the way to go because (laughs) there's just so much you could do so much you could do in that space to that end. My last question for you, looking back on your career, both your planned parts and the parts you fell into and all of the little nuances along the way, you know, if you could give yourself like one piece of advice to little Jeff (laughs) to be like, Hey, Hey buddy, it's going to be okay. Like, what would you, what would you go back and tell yourself when you're that kid writing five minutes to go up for open mic or you're, you know, ditching a fine arts class? Like what would you tell yourself? Um, I would tell this one, this sounds heavy because of the, the, (laughs) the, but I would say, uh, you're, you're worth more than you think. Um, and so like, it's, that sounds super sad, but I think the reality of that is the industry is demanding. And especially at a young age, uh, you just, you know, you work with people who, instill in you that you're not good enough for their advantage. And that's just the industry at large. I think it's uh, a nativity of kids coming out of school who are talented. Um, And the business really works well if you have a ton of young, talented kids being paid no money. And so you have to make them realize that they're, they're not worth what you're paying them. And uh, I think it's a harsh reality, but it's something i and a million of my friends went through. So I think for me personally, it would be like, don't stay in those situations when you're not being valued and uh, move on quicker Um, for comedy as well. You know, comedy, you, you learn to be just completely okay with whatever, because you just want stage time. You'll do any, it's like heroin. You'll do anything to get it. And you're just, you know, you're, you're trying. And then eventually I think, through experience, it's, you just, you know, I don't know even if I told my younger self this, would I listen, but you just <laughs> learn that some things aren't worth it. You know, some things are just not worth your time and, you know, just know that you're better than certain things. It sounds crazy, but just be like, no, nah, that's, that's not for me. And uh, I think learning that comes in time, but that's what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Getting you're, there you're faster might've helped you yeah, along yeah. the way. Yeah. Totally. I think that's great. Totally. You're worth more than you think. I think that's super powerful. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, this was super fun. Sorry about my internet. It's trash. You're, trash. you're fine. We live <laughs> in a world where we are locked in by the rules of the internet yeah. gods. And sometimes they don't love so us. True. It's just the way it works. I know. Well, yeah. it was a pleasure. Where can people find you if they want to learn more about your creative design work, what your agency is doing, and also your comedy? Where can people find yeah. you? Yeah. So Instagram is probably the best place. And my name is Jeffrey Tice, G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y-T-I-C-E. I'm there posting clips of stand-up, posting art, most of that stuff. And then my agency is called Smash and Grab. Um, and our website is smashandgrab.tv. Um, so yeah, we're just putting out new work. We're going to launch a website here in the next few months with a whole new set of, uh, projects and work that we haven't been able to show yet. So we're super excited about that launch. Yeah. Other than that, I'm around, just come yell at me on the internet. That's fine. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you, Jeff. I so appreciate all your time. This is awesome. I really do appreciate it. 
All right, here are my closing thoughts on today's interview. What I love about this interview with Jeff is this. The big takeaway for me is that creativity can mean so many things. It can manifest itself in drawing and design or storytelling and comedy. And the thing I love about Jeff is he recognized this innate desire within himself to create. And he gave himself permission to explore a variety of outlets to do it within. He didn't worry about what anybody else thought. And he didn't take himself out of consideration by saying, art isn't a real career. Or no, I'm just a designer. This is what I do. He allowed himself to go for it and to try several things. And he was not discouraged when it wasn't easy. He put in the time. He tried. He failed. And he kept going. He reinvented, stretched, and tried new things over and over again. Because he knew the creative process is also a learning process. And that's the takeaway today. To do big things, creative things, important things. You have to be willing to make the time, to put in the time, to really work on it. And just as important, you have to be willing to fail. But remember the power in failing upwards. Channel the moments that aren't quote unquote wins into lessons and keep on trying. Next week, we are back with another incredible interview. I will be talking with Seattle City Council Member Teresa Mosqueda, and we recorded this interview just ahead of the November election, right? So it was an interesting time for her, but I want you to tune in and hear what she has to say about how she landed in politics and the issues that called her to serve her community. Thanks for tuning back in for a whole new season of the Yes Pile podcast. If today was at all inspiring or helpful for you, please let me know. I'm reading your feedback on Instagram, so follow us along at the Yes Pile podcast or email me directly anytime. Connect at tessawolf.com. And if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.